you can, if you can be, be bothered. Uh, join us on Facebook Live as right now it's time to say hi to Steve Vines once again live from his evil lair in the Noon Territories. How are you? Hello from the bunker. Hello. What's happening? What's not happening, actually? Oh, uh, what's not happening? I think let's start with what's not happening. Um, <laughs> this is where I go and get a coffee, the, right? Yeah, before you go and get your, your steroid injections. <laughs> the, for the first time ever, uh, and I, I, I think I can say this with, uh, without fear, the policy address has been cancelled at 48 hours notice. The extraordinary thing about this is the reasons proffered for the cancellation or the postponement, I should say. So th there's three possibilities here. One is that um, Carrie Lam is so sort of careless in planning the policy address that she actually had nothing ready. You know, she hadn't done doubt that work. one very much. You're doubting that one? I am indeed. Okay. Process. Should we go to point Shall we go to point two? Go on. Point two, the other one, which is that now she dare not sneeze, you know, open an envelope without uh, permission from the north. So she had to wait until she scuttled up in a northerly direction to get approval for what she says are mainly economic measures. Well, I'm sorry, but economic measures, if she bothered to read the basic law, which, of course, I read every night religiously, makes very clear in the exclusive purview of the Hong Kong SAR government. So why she needs to scuttle up to Beijing to get approval for economic measures, there's a mystery. And then there's the number three possibility. Actually, it's the one I'm going with, is that she was waiting to find out officially whether, whether His Highness uh, Xi Jinping was going to be in Shenzhen. And with two and a half hours, of it being confirmed that he was there, she said, oh, my goodness, if he's up in Shenzhen, I'd better go there because, you know, he might look at me. Can I stop you one second, Steve? Uh, housekeeping. If you've got anything near you, like headphones, a radio, anything at all that's turned up and it shouldn't be, can you just turn everything down? Because I'm getting a funny noise and I would like to hear you properly. Oh, I see, yes. Anything okay. around you uh, that's with a volume switch, apart from the obvious one. All right, let me... Um let me do that while we're... Yeah, just whilst you're fiddling around there, Steve, uh, join us on Facebook Live if you can. Morning Brew is our page. Uh, and as always, we get a handful of uh, emails. So uh, morningbrew at rthk.hk, that is our email address. Obviously, you don't have to stick to Steve's agenda. You can bring up your own one. Are you ready to carry on, whatever it was? Uh, yes, I was. I was going to the third possibility Please. of why you might have postponed. And I think it's simple as this, is that she will never miss a chance to be in, in eye-line view with, with, with the president of China, Xi Jinping. So once it was officially confirmed that he was being in Shenzhen, she said, drop everything, drop everything. I'm going to get on the bus and go over there and see if he can see me. Maybe wave, you know, hello, Mr. Xi. And again, it's do me, you really me. think that that's a possibility, bearing in mind I, the I weight of all the stuff do. that's been going I down honestly, recently? I honestly do, because in a, in a dictatorship, Proximity to the top man is always what matters for the functionaries, for the minions. They, that there is even a possibility, which she no doubt was thinking, oh, you might even have a word with me. Or, I had a word it with you. Sounds a bit basic, though, doesn't it? Uh, yes, yes. Honestly, I mean, if I thought that she was anything nowadays other than a cipher, and if I thought that there was the smallest possibility that she would be... Um, going up to um, Shenzhen to do anything useful, 
I mean, after all, what she actually did was sit on a platform some yards away from the boss. I mean, that's what she actually did on Wednesday when she should have been in Medco presenting the policy address. It's interesting that Andrew Lung, who, you know, he's up there with the Muppets who will wave a flag at, uh, at any um, given opportunity. Andrew Lung, the president of Medco, said, oh, I was invited to Shenzhen, but I've got duties here in Medco on Wednesday. So unfortunately, I won't be able to go. Not the Sino, the chief executive in name only. Poor. No, no, no. Well, small these are brilliant fancifuls. I mean, they really are. And I'm sure everybody's got their own theory, but that's all it is at the moment. We're never likely to really know, are we? Oh, I, I doubt any of this will ever be confirmed. I mean, th there'll be sort of hapless people like me speculating until the cow's gone home. But on the other hand, you know, you've got to also say, does it matter? I mean, let's be real. Does it matter whether she makes her policy address now or in a well, she actually hasn't even been able to say when she's going to do it. She may do it um, sometime next month, she says. She may not. All depends on what the bosses tell her. So is this one, I mean, Steve, here's a little point of order. This procedure, that has to be done, right? I don't know. Yes, it does. And, and to, to be fair, it has been postponed in the past Okay. Um, for for grave reasons or whatever they are. But the point is that in the past, adequate notice of this has been given. I mean, it hasn't been a decision taken in, in a space of 48 hours. So, yes, it does have to be done. I mean, I know this is Mickey Mouse business, but it is, after all, Hong Kong State of the Union address, or it's the same as... Well, I'll tell Queen. you what, Steve, the question here is, and in your opinion, and people listening, I've got a comment to read out in a second, just how important is this address? I mean, in the light of what's happened in the past couple of days. Let me bring in a quickie here from Bright, who joins us on Facebook Live. He says she left C.Y. Lung here to open his mouth and rattle the public, give the public something else to take their mind off Gary. Well, there's always that. There's always C.Y. C opening. <laughs> left him here. <laughs> we, <laughs> I'm not actually sure that was true. I think he was also in Shenzhen. But um, anyway, we, we might actually talk about that later on. But can, can we also talk about, I mean, really interesting what happened. I mean, remember, this was the reason she was in Shenzhen was to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the establishment of the Special Economic Zone there. Yeah. And by all accounts, um, uh, you know, without exception, the, the, the father of, of Shenzhen was Deng Xiaoping. Deng was mentioned just once in Xi's address to the broad masses. He didn't go and visit the um, commemorative museum, which, which features Deng Xiaoping. Very interesting. He did, however, mention, but not by name, his father as being a founding father of the, of the um, SEZ. And also very interesting was, you know, we've been led to believe for years and years that the whole point about Shenzhen was that it had enormous support and cooperation from Hong Kong business. And none of those people were mentioned, Lee Kaohsiung in particular. Mm -hmm. The only person who was mentioned as, as having been a contributor towards the success of the Shenzhen SEZ was Gordon Wu, who was indeed one of the founder investors, the, the construction company of Hopewell, yeah. was one of the founder um, or the pioneers of doing business in Shenzhen. I mean, this is all very bizarre that, that, that you, you, you ignore Deng Xiaoping 
that you ignore the role of Hong Kong people in all of this, with one exception, um, that you allow um, the chief executive of Hong Kong to sit on a distant chair on the platform. Yeah, I've heard that mentioned yeah. this morning at least two times and back chat and stuff as well. I'll get back to the significance well, of that a, in a second, if you would. She was along with the cleaners, I mean, to I be hear fair. You. But uh, tell me a bit more about, you know, <laughs> anyway, sorry, carry on. But so anyway, but what, what I'm saying is what, what actually happened at this event was, was interesting. What also was interesting was because now Sino only, or not main, only, but mainly only talks to um, state TV. Well, she gave an interview to Shenzhen Television in which she said airily, oh, it doesn't really matter if Shenzhen becomes more important than Hong Kong. Hang on, wait a minute. Isn't she the chief executive of Hong Kong? Didn't she sort of say it was a false comparison or something? I mean, it's technologically quite a groovy place, it has to be said. She's she's completely relaxed about it, she said, because (coughs) Shenzhen, I think she means greater Shenzhen, is is bigger, which is true, Mm -hmm. it's a factual fact. Than Hong Kong, so she's saying, "Oh, you know, these things happen." I mean, can't she even defend Hong Kong to the smallest degree? Can't she even pretend that she thinks that her job is to stand up for Hong Kong ever? But in a big picture, Steve, does it matter? Well, I think the big picture is that um, uh, Shenzhen obviously is going to be increasingly favoured by the central authorities as a international business center the question is will international business be interested i mean you know the reasons why they came to hong kong rule of law freedom of communications etc etc are being eroded so maybe you know if hong kong is no better than shenzhen what's the point of coming to hong kong i mean i get that it's a worrying worrying thought but i do get that it's a distinct possibility that Hong Kong, the more Hong Kong becomes another Chinese city with no distinctive characteristics, the more people are going to say, oh, I'm not going to pay those enormous rents to, to set up an office in Hong Kong and those higher wages that prevail in Hong Kong if the benefits I'm going to get there are, are, are much less than we had been accustomed to getting from, from being here in the first place. So what does become of Hong Kong in that case then? I mean, it's had a massive rap on the knuckles, an ongoing rap on the knuckles. It's being, you know, put in its place. Is that good enough? Despite whatever that might mean, is that good enough? I'm I'm always worried about futurology, but I think what um, is possible is, you know, the more Hong Kong becomes just another Chinese city, albeit a highly developed one, the more it will just not be an important place. Has Hong Kong become just like a point of order or becoming like a a, print, a, a poster boy, if you like? I don't, I honestly don't think I would go that far because there is still, even now, <coughs> substantial differences between Hong Kong and the rest of China. And the substantial differences between Hong Kong and Macau, for that matter. So, you know, I mean, I think we, we've got to be a little cautious in talking ourselves into terminal doom because things happen at a speed that are now very very hard to project very hard to predict i should say i don't know i really don't know i I keep thinking about. i'm sure other people are thinking about this all the time you know what would hong kong's role be if it was just another of those well-developed chinese cities in south of the country yeah like, what does its purpose become? I mean, it's been told to sit and stay, and it has, and... and. 
and it's been told to to remain a financial center. I mean, there's a lot of sort of idiot talk about how Hong Kong can be the world's leading technological development center. I mean, that's just for the fairies. It really is. Hong Kong isn't even close to being in that league. So... Dave, hang on a sec, Steve. Dave says on our Facebook feed, uh, the only reason to come to Hong Kong is for wealthy Chinese to live here. That's why property contractors um, aren't reducing prices. I get some pretty harsh comments here, but that's what people think. Well, but he does have a point. I mean, what is remarkable um, about what's happened in... Let's look at the property market, because goodness knows that's what some people talk about incessantly, is that although obviously prices have declined in the wake of the coronavirus and the social unrest is they have remained remarkably stable and they've remained remarkably stable because as Dave says, rich Chinese people still quite like the idea of having a base here, even if they're not living here full time. And of course they like to bring their money here and they like to bring their um, <clears throat> other halves, some of which are not their wives here. So, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why rich Chinese people might prefer the Hong Kong alternative, and they do, and they buy property and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, if we're going to have a boring discussion about whether property prices are going to go up, down, yeah, or Dave. flat. <laughs> what about the notion that there is a thing in Hong Kong, an, um, an X factor, whatever you want to call it, that you cannot destroy and you cannot take away? It's just here. I think that's, that, that is true. I mean, you know, for... However many times the Sino and all the other flag wavers try and belittle Hong Kong's distinctiveness, it has a distinctive history. The people of Hong Kong have tasted the pungent taste mm -hmm. of liberty and are not quite ready to relinquish it. Well, this so, generation, you know, yeah. Yes, I mean, at least one generation, particularly the younger generation, who... who, who have got very high aspirations for liberty. So, yes, I think that Hong Kong may well be going through, as people say, a period of white terror. Hong Kong may well not be seeing social unrest on the streets. But how do you explain to people, what I'm trying to get at, how do you explain to people, despite the list that's becoming as long as your arm, um, and yet you, I bet all of us have said, but it's still a really cool place. It is a really you cool know what place. I mean? <laughs> You know, I mean, look, I, I I came here as a foreigner. I'm not staying here from from some great, you know, social. Um, what's the word? Yeah. To, to fulfil some great no, social purpose. Your I'm here because I like it. And and you know, there's many things about Hong Kong which are which remain absolutely outstanding. Not least, um, you know, the fact that Hong Kong has this enormous uh, countryside. In, in the background, Hong Kong has a, a degree of cosmopolitanism that you don't see in the rest of China. You know, there's many reasons to be here. I don't think I'm talking about things per se. It's something that I cannot explain. Not things, not, not gardens no, and hills, you know what I mean? It's atmosphere. It's atmosphere. I mean, I, I you know, this isn't a, 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 a crass admission, but I happen to like Hong Kong people. I think the Hong Kong spirit, which people talk about, is a real thing. And it is reflected in the character of the people who live in Hong Kong. And I quite like to live in an environment where you have lively, engaged 
people. I think it's a wonderful thing. Quick question for you before we go to the news. You talk about people have tasted freedom, etc., etc. Is it is it significant that their olds, their parents and grandparents tasted hardship before the freedom? Hence, they came here. I think it is. I think it is. People have an acute sense of history in Hong Kong. It's very interesting that that the Communist Party wants only one version of history to to exist. That's all. All dictatorships only want one version of history. But people do understand from the background of their families the difference of here and there. I think they do. Worth thinking about. Nearly time for the news. Join us on Facebook Live if you want to, and drop a comment there or Morning Brew at rthk.hk. Right. I think Steve wants to take a rather different direction now. Well, I, I, I just noticed, um, and I think everybody in Hong Kong has noticed, that here we are in almost a year's worth of lockdowns, semi-lockdowns and preventative measures to, to keep the virus at bay. And astonishingly, even though Hong Kong's infection rate is low, unfortunately, its death rate is very low indeed, anything to do with the outside is still banned. So beaches are still closed. Campsites are still closed. Mm. Barbecue areas are still closed. I mean, this is madness. You can go to a karaoke. You can go to a massage parlor. You can go to a cinema. All of these places are in enclosed spaces. And apparently that's all right. You can go to see a concert at the cultural center where uh, there's not, a bit of a problem. Not, not, but yeah. you cannot go <laughs> camping. You cannot go to a beach. Can I read something that's been published in the SCMP? And funnily enough, it was a letter from Doug Woodring. He's a marathon swimmer and arranges um, water adventure, water activities. And, and he sent it to me just before you came on this morning. So I'm going to whiz through this, Steve, <laughs> if I may. Uh, this is in the SCMP. Must be today. It says Hong Kong government's received great support for its decision to open many indoor sports facilities. You've been through the list. Uh, accordingly, with the Leisure and Cultural Services Department or Food and Environmental Hygiene guys, please explain to the public via these pages the rationale for the continued beach closures i'm not going to do the whole thing steve i'll just give you a flavor these closures continue almost as if forgotten despite the relaxation of other social activities around the city uh, with the summer influx of beachgoers unlikely the benefits and health uh, well-being from from the use of outdoors and large open spaces being well understood we'd all like to know why um, we welcome a clear and responsible explanation which would help build trust within the efforts for a better city-wide health. Yeah, Doug, you, br oh. you mentioned that last time you were oh, on the radio with me. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, no, and nobody can do the logic on the beaches, Steve. What have you got? Well, well, can I attempt an explanation, which unfortunately is a dire one? I think the problem is that yet again, politics is taking precedence over health considerations. Yeah, the government is paranoid about the resumption of demonstrations, resumption of on anything going, <laughs> going on in the outdoors. So they, they kind of realise that they cannot carry on uh, banning demonstrations on social distancing grounds if people are allowed in other outside spaces, like beaches, like um, camping areas, etc., etc. I mean, this is... It's a terrible explanation, but it's the only one that I can find. So, you know, it can't possibly be on health grounds. It cannot possibly be on health grounds that people are not allowed to swim in the sea. 
What about his notion that they've been conveniently forgotten about? Well, he didn't say conveniently, but it's it's worth chucking that in. Well, I think he was being sarcastic. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, so I mean, this this is Horlicks 101, isn't it? Beaches. And I I just want... Sorry? Is that beaches have become a currency kind of thing? How? I don't get it. Anybody who's got an ounce of health education will say they're great places to be. And and people now are going to um, unsupervised beaches, you know, beaches without lifeguards, which actually is is potentially dangerous. So, you know, the whole thing in every aspect is nonsense. And the only explanation is it's got nothing to do with prevention of the spread of COVID-19. And it's very lamentable that the government will always put politics before health. I, I, I don't think this is going to be one of their finest moments. Hey, I really don't. Colin just wrote in on our Facebook feed. He said, Steve, you missed out horse, raiding, horse racing, the most protected I group. Did. I don't know anything about that. What do you know? Well, I mean, it, it's anything that's outside. This is, this is, you know, because they want to maintain the logic of banning all demonstrations because they're outside. So, yeah, I mean, you, you know, um, there, there's been some limited uh, permission for people to play football. Gosh, that's it's a dangerous activity. If you be on a football pitch, people kick you. But seriously, I mean, you know, it, 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 it remains a stupid, stupid piece of restriction. Well, it's just, it's um, just, I mean, like I said, beaches have become some kind of weird currency. Rick just says all the lifeguards been laid off. Is that true? I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I mean, that is is logic. I don't know if it's true or not. Well, unfortunately, there's a great number of people who have been laid off in Hong Kong for this. I don't don't know about lifeguards. I thought they were actually employed full time, but maybe, maybe they're also. I suppose if the beaches are closed, there's no work for them to do. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Mm. Yeah, well... We're getting a few messages here, and they're all basically saying, you know, incompetent, this, that, and the other. Colin comes back. He says, how many horse race owners have CE voting rights? Whoa, deep and dirty. (laughs) See, this is what makes – it makes people behave like this. Great comments, but it makes us get the conspiracy head on. It makes people ever so slightly cynical, does it It not? (laughs) It does indeed. Anyway, Steve, all yours. Well, I was going to say, I mean, while, while all this other, you know, banning of the great outdoors is going on, one place in the great outdoors where the government is very determined to press ahead with its plans is to allow the um, people who live on the mainland, only people on the mainland, to vote in Hong Kong elections, despite the fact that election law says it's, it's no good, despite the fact that even the, the normally not very vocal Electoral Affairs Commission says this is absolutely laden with problems. Is it not like other countries where if you're, if you're official, you can be in any country in the world and you can still vote? I mean, the Americans and the Canadians, etc. Well, they have postal voting. I mean, if they were really serious about getting people who are not resident in Hong Kong, but are Hong Kong residents, if you see what I mean, to be allowed to vote, they would give them postal votes. It's not, they don't need to reinvent the wheel. Mm. I mean, in, in countries like um, I'm, I'm trying to think of countries, but I think America is one of them where you can vote at your local consulate. In other words, you can vote at a place which is firmly under control of a government institution which will ensure fairness and security for the vote. So this is not just good old satellite voting then, basically? No, it isn't. It, it, but, but as I say... I mean, for example, if you're British, you, you can get a postal vote as long as you 
have been resident in the country within not less than seven years ago. So, you know, there are many ways to do this if it was serious. But of course, let's not be naive about it. The reason they want people on the mainland to be able to vote is one is it will be very hard to control it. It will be impossible for Democratic candidates to monitor the polls there because they won't be allowed either to campaign or to go there. Mm. And of course, they expect that people living on the mainland are far more likely to vote for pro-China parties than people who are living in Hong Kong. I mean, this is this is nothing to do with voting rights. It's all to do with rigging the ballot. Let's be absolutely, call it what it is, not whether with all these stupid technical explanations. I mean, why aren't they gagging to have people to be able to vote in Vancouver? There's there's many hundreds of thousands of Hong Kongers there. For years, Don't hear yeah. anything about that. Yeah. That's quite. I so, mean, so, well, surely it would have to be one rule for everybody. Or... No, there's no intention. There is no intention. I mean, the government's made it clear they're only talking about people living in the mainland. So, <laughs> draw your own conclusions. I don't think you need to be a rocket scientist to to work out what's going on there. I really don't. All right, then. Time for one more. One quick one. I mean, we. It, um, <coughs> I thought we seem to have more than one listener today, but one of the listeners did raise the, the issue of my best friend, Mr. Siwa Le, Lan Zhong Ying, former chief executive, um, saying that, that he was left behind while Kerry went up to Shenzhen. As I say, I'm not sure about that. But what I am sure about is that he's doing this very terrifying naming and shaming campaign. So he's dug up the names of, I think it is, 18 teachers who he wants to be prosecuted because they've been involved Incidentally, the word is allegedly involved in illegal activity connected to the protests. He wants them named and shamed. So instead of, you know, waiting for this to, to, to be done through the courts, he said, I tell you what, they're guilty. I'm going to name and shame them. I'm putting them up on my Facebook page. And, you know, in my sort of toy town, red guard way, we, we can get pressure put on the schools to fire them. Way to go, eh? That, Steve, is where we're going to leave it for yet another day. Thank you very much to you, and thank you very much to our commentators on email and, of course, on Facebook Live. Steve, have a good week. We'll do it next week at the same time.